This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany. And I'm your host, Andy, and each week we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Arizona. I love Arizona. Me too. You were from there. I am from there. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I knew that. Did you? Did you really? Yeah. From the ages of one to five, you were in Arizona. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you just know me so well. I do. I do. So, Arizona, what had happened? What happened in my old town? Not town, state. Yeah, there you go. So, this is the story of Nicole Molly Aguilera. I'm a genie in a bottle. I sang that song several times when I was researching this case and it was ridiculous. I mean, I would too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's, it's just the name and it, it does it to you. So all of this took place on January 17th, 1991. Okay. Nicole was at home with her baby Raina. She was only 18 years old. Nicole was only 18 oh, years old. I saw <laughs> you meant face. the baby. No, Nicole was only 18 years old and she was the mother of two children. Oh, so her oldest daughter, Vanessa, was actually living with her grandmother at the time. Okay. So it was just Nicole and uh, baby Raina in the apartment that night. Okay. After not being able to get a hold of her, a concerned friend slash neighbor mm-hmm. uh, decided she was going to pop on over to the apartment and, you know, try to try to figure out what was going on. See if she can make contact, right? Um- a good friend should right i mean you're not answering my calls absolutely and so when nicole didn't answer the front door uh this was just cause for concern so she actually went ahead and called the police okay the phoenix police arrived and they entered the premises where they found the body of nicole aguilera in the midst of a brutal murder murder scene oh what about the baby so as the police looked around, they heard uh, the screams of a baby coming from the back bedroom. When they went into the back, they found. So this is where this I, I could not verify the age of Raina okay. at this time. Some um, articles were saying she was five months old. Others saying that she was eight months old. So between five and eight months. Yeah. So she was found in her crib crying her head off. Uh, probably. Obviously. She was probably crying for a long time. Obviously. I mean, I can't even imagine how long she was alone, much less like right. hungry and probably scared. Her diaper changed. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Just posted in the back, screaming her head off, poor thing. Ugh, that makes me so, gives me shivers. Yeah, 100%. So now let's go back to the murder scene really quick. So... This was described by the Phoenix police as just a horrific and brutal murder. And it was evident that a struggle had taken place. Um, Just things were tossed around. Um, Wait, did you say it was locked, though? The front door was locked. Mm, Okay, go on. So, Nicole, so like I said, the evident of like a, a really intense struggle she had uh nicole had actually been stabbed an alarming 90 plus times oh my 
gosh, that is somebody must have muscles to be doing that. Like, how much hate do you have, and how much right. stamina? Like, did you take a break? Well, yeah, I just that's excessive, like beyond excessive. Like, that, I can't even fathom that. Can you imagine, like, you take like a chicken breast out of your out of your freezer, and you're cooking dinner, and you stab it. But then do that 90 plus <laughs> times. Like, that's insanity. That is, I mean, really, like, were your arms sore? And also, it makes me kind of think that it's more than one person. Maybe. I mean, obviously, I haven't, I don't know anything about the story, but like 90 times, that is, that's like, you really had to be there for a hot minute yeah you were there for a while there's no way you could stab someone 90 times in a row like you had to take a break catch your breath i don't know right i don't know it's insane when i read that i was like i had to it was like one of those things i had to keep like looking over it like i was like is that right did i read that right that is a lot i mean I, i know we're getting really stuck on this but it's just I cannot imagine, like, I can't, I do kickboxing and I can't punch 90 times in a row. (laughs) No, not at all. You, yeah, you would get tired. And like you said, you'd have to like, you'd have to take a break. And unless it, I guess adrenaline, but that's only going to take you so far. I don't know. So all of this happened while her daughter was asleep in the next room. So it almost makes you wonder, like, did Raina wake up in the middle of all this? And she was she crying since that happened? Do you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, I don't. I mean, there must be some noise to that, especially in the beginning. Right. And I think screams would wake a child up. Absolutely. Well, especially if it was your mom's voice, too. Mm-hmm. So according to the Phoenix Police Department, this case drew a lot of attention just because of the 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 pure brutal nature of this crime mm-hmm. um i think if that happened anywhere it would get a lot of attention because that is clearly a crime of passion if you're stabbing somebody 90 times uh one thing that i thought was interesting was that nicole um was described as being like an overly cautious person okay. and she always kept her door locked huh okay when the police arrived, the deadbolt to the front door was latched and there was no sign of forced entry. So this leads the this has led the police to believe that the person who committed this crime was, in fact, somebody that Nicole had known and they were in and they were let into the apartment willingly. Yeah, but then they, do they have a key to latch it back up or so? OK, I'm getting ahead of myself, mm-hmm. as I always do. So as I mentioned, Nicole, overly cautious. Doors right. were always locked. Red flag. Her back door was left ajar. Mm, that's how. Yeah. Okay. So the whoever did this snuck out the back door. Okay. And this is an apartment. So I'm assuming it's not like a traditional back door. It, it The way that they described it, it sounded like a sliding door. Okay. Which is under, I mean, if she was on the first floor. I'm assuming she would have to be right if they escaped. It didn't say if she was, but I'm assuming so. Spider-Man. Right. 
So after speaking with neighbors from the apartment building, the police also found out that loud noises could be heard coming from Nicole's apartment mm-hmm. approximately at 1 a.m. Okay. So she, it sounds like the scenario that I'm putting together in my head is that this person who she, I'm assuming, thought was a friend, mm-hmm. came over late night kiki. We're just going to like maybe we're agitated at the boss at work or, you know, like we're just wanting to hang out because we've had a rough day. So she lets them into the apartment willingly. Locks the door behind them. Yeah. As you would. Yeah. And then at some point they overstay their welcome. I mean, was she dating anyone? Was she? I mean, obviously that's like. That's yeah. So that. Um, there were, there are no leads, absolutely zero leads in this case. The evidence that they have and that they've collected have been, it's, it's been preserved, Uh but they were able to get no tangible leads based off of anything in the crime scene. So they literally to this day don't even have something that they can like even an idea of who could have done this to Nicole. That's just insane to me. Like 91, there's has to be phone records or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. No, 100%. So there's literally like there was no um forensic evidence, there was no like loose hairs or like, you know, anything like that. But everything that they did collect, I thought this was interesting. So they were able to preserve it mm-hmm. and it's actually in really good condition now. In okay. present day so with no leads this case has gone cold but they are hoping with just as forensic evidence gets better in the future they're hoping that they will catch a break at some point i believe um from all the research that i've done on this it sounds like they check pretty regularly mm-hmm. um, to see if there's just something that they've missed uh but at this point that's literally it there is no they found Nicole dead in her apartment and they weren't even able to do like a full on investigation because they had no leads. I'm just really still stuck on the fact that there was no phone rec, like landline phone records. You can't fake that. There was no burner phones at that time. Like, and for someone to come over or, that late at night where she's killed at 1 a.m. Like they would have had to come a little bit later. There might have probably been like an argument or uh, like it's like a lover's quarrel or so. I don't I'm not saying she had a lover, but like a guy who probably wanted to have a relationship with her was there late at night. She said no. And he got upset. Like, that's where my mind goes to. Yeah. I know where you were, what you were saying, too. But, like, there has to be some sort of evidence. One would think, right? And that's from what I could read. I mean, there was she wasn't, a, like, sexually assaulted. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It wasn't a robbery. Nothing was missing from the apartment. So it literally, I don't know. It's just one of those things, like, did she maybe meet somebody new at like a bar or something. And she was like, Oh, like come over on, on Friday and let's hang out. 
But I go back to the thought of like 90 stabs. That's somebody who's close to you. That is like. That's like years of frustration or, you know, like, I don't know. Like, that's yeah. that's wild. That's what I'm going back to. There, ha- It has to be somebody. Close to her. Close to her. Because to be that angry with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was some random stranger, like you're saying, or like you're suggesting, it'd be like, okay, stab, stab, I'm out. Like. Yeah. There has to be something momentous that happened. Like 90 times you have something to get off your chest. You're you're working through some frustrations that can't be handled through conversation, apparently. At all. Yeah. It's just wild. So that is that is the case of Nicole. So I know that that was a little bit short. Uh, so I did do a second case oh, okay, this okay. week as yep. well. Um, I will say... That I I did read an article where the two girls who are now grown mm-hmm. have spoken out about, you know, their mother's death. And Vanessa, obviously, she wasn't there, but she has, you know, clearly she has memories of her mother. Um, baby Raina wasn't. Yeah. But it's interesting because Raina did say that there are moments in her life where she thinks that she does remember that night. But she can't. She said she doesn't know if it's like real or not. If it's just like, she's been told the story so many times Mm. of how she was found. And she's like picturing it in her head. You know what I mean? Hypnotherapy. Yeah. Hypnosis. But I mean, she was, she was, she was fresh. So I don't think she was committing memories at that time. So. Yeah. But I mean, if she does think that it's something that she's remembering, at least she can. But it is like to a baby, like being left alone in your crib and you're crying and Traumatic. crying and crying. It's it's that's trauma. Yeah. And trauma does stick with people. Yeah. So maybe they're like, maybe she does remember. I don't know. It's that's, I just thought that was interesting. I was like, yeah, like a five month, five to eight month year old baby is saying that she, you know, as an adult now, she, she says she thinks she remembers that night, but huh. yeah, maybe hypnotherapy. That's yeah. Interesting. So my second case is a bit odd, and I decided to kind of pivot away from like a murder story. Yeah, we've been doing Nick, and that Nicole um, Aguilera's case was just really like heavy on me as I was researching it, just because with how little information there was, and yeah. like just thinking of that family and not getting answers since 1991, like that's crazy. So this this one um, is is a little a little out there. Ooh. So the story begins on October 9th of 1995. Okay. At around 1.30 a.m. The witching hour. I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) For over 200 passengers, it was supposed to be just an ordinary cross-country train trip. Okay. The Amtrak Sunset Limited passenger train departed Los Angeles earlier that day and was headed towards Miami. That's a trip. That is. That's a long trip. Yeah. This train, however, never reached its final destination. What happened? Did it disappear? No. Oh. Ish. That one. Love those stories. (laughs) No. This one's actually kind of sad. Oh. Um, Passenger Neil Halford recalls being jolted awake by a truly horrific sound. And that sound was the the sound of the train's brakes shrieking. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, he could feel... Just that jolting of like a really large impact. 
Oh, gosh. As soon as the impact was felt, all of the lights inside the train car went off and the Amtrak train was derailed in the middle of the Arizona desert over 50 miles from Phoenix. Oh, I mean, derailed? Derailed. That must have been like a hardcore thing that stopped them. So the train was passing over a trestle and some of the cars were actually knocked down into a gulch that was 30 feet below. Oh, so in the nearby town of Buckeye, Arizona, there was one police dispatcher that was on duty, and her name was Patricia Bory. Okay. According to Patricia, the graveyard shift is always the quietest for her, and it's usually filled with just a few traffic stops. She said just a few traffic stops, or it may include a beer run, if you know what I mean. <laughs> So on the night of October 9th, though, she received the call that a passenger train had been derailed and she immediately went to work as she dispatched the fire and ambulance personnel um, to the scene. Now, she does explain Buckeye, Arizona, uh, all of the fire and ambulance personnel were all volunteers at the time Mm -hmm. and they had been given pagers to be alerted of emergency situations when they have to go out. Okay, so. She wrangled up everybody. She was like, we need to go help them. There's over 200 passengers on this train derailed. There's going to be multiple injuries, possible fatalities. Um, All of that stuff that happens when accidents occur. So this was a mass rescue, essentially. Nearly 100 passengers were injured. And one man, uh, Mitchell Bates, was 41 years old. And he was an, an employee of Amtrak. Mm-hmm. He actually lost his life in oh, this no. accident. I'm surprised more people do. I mean, right? No, that's that's a good point because I mean, for a train to get derailed is wild. And I'm, I can imagine if you're sleeping, you're not like I don't. I've never even been on a passenger train, so like, mm-hmm. are there seatbelts? Like, I don't even know. Like, because obviously, if you're in, if you're in a bed, you're not like gotta buckle up. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. So it's like if something ha- like that happens, you're just getting tossed around. Probably, yeah. And with all the glass and the windows and everything. Oh, I can't even imagine. Terrifying. <laughs> um, So Neil Halford was in one of the cars that had not fallen into the gulch, and he saw rescue workers approaching the train. So he decided he was just going to step outside of his train car just to get some fresh air. Okay. And this is when something caught his eye. So a flash. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> by the light of the moon, if you will. Oh, romantic. Um, in the dirt, he saw a piece of paper that was underneath a rock near the wreckage. Okay. And this piece of paper, he p- picked it up and it was it's been described as an anti-government manifesto. Okay. And it was signed by Sons of Gestapo. Okay. I that reminds me of Pinocchio for some reason. Me too, Geppetto. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I get those vibes as well. It was at this point that it was pretty clear that it wasn't an accident. Mm-hmm. Somebody had actually figured out how to sabotage this train um as they began to find several more sons of Gestapo letters uh, along the crash site. And so what, what had happened, they actually 
took out railroad spikes mm-hmm. and then near where like right next to where they took out the spikes is where they left all these notes oh gosh yeah so i mean it was very intentional what they were trying to do that is not trying what they succeeded to right do. i mean <clears throat> why first of all like do you need to put that many flyers like just in case i think i i don't know i guess like one by every railroad spike that you took out just to make i guess just to get your point across like to just make sure that they clearly wanted to take ownership of what happened right which i could totally understand but like that seems excessive to me right so right about this time is when Larry McCormick arrived on the scene and he was the acting special agent in charge of the FBI in Phoenix back in the 90s. Okay. So Larry McCormick uh, notably has been with the FBI for 30 years and has worked on a lot of really high priority cases, including the Jimmy Hoffa case, the Oklahoma and the Oklahoma City bombing case. Oh, gosh. So he was I think he was just kind of not used to but he had background in investigating large scale he had experience acts of terrorism yeah oh not jimmy hoffa but you know what i mean the oklahoma city bombing case was insane so along with the notes it was found that the railroad spikes had been removed and left near the track so i forgot to say that so the railroads they took them out and then they just left them like next to the track so it's like you know what happened like you (laughs) just so you know this is what we did this is exactly what we did the degree of tampering led investigators to believe that whoever had done this to the train train tracks they knew exactly what they were doing and how it was going to impact the train so like because they took out enough to where it would cause the deal derailment like if you just took out one Mhm. It probably wouldn't. Yeah, but I think they took out. I didn't. I didn't write it in the notes for some reason. But if memory, don't fail me now. I'm pretty sure they took out seven. That's such an odd number, too. It is. So after an investigation into the Sons of Gestapo, it was clear that uh, there was no such group. They had never been. They've never popped up before. They've never been heard of. No, like the FBI had no information on because this is this is one of those things where it's like you kind of look towards like, is this like a terrorism group? Is this, you know, yeah, like what's going on? And it was signed as if it was kind of like. You know who we are, you know what I mean? Like Sons of Gestapo, it sounds like it's a crime ring or something. I don't know. Yeah, that just sounds like it reminds me of sons of anarchy but um that sounds like a legitimate thing and why would you all of a sudden make i mean i guess that's kind of smart but like making flyers about something that's not real yeah like anti-government manifesto yeah to throw off um what happened so my thing was the one thing that i thought of was do you think that they maybe planned on doing more and then maybe they got cold feet and stopped. I mean, like they felt guilt after doing this one act and they were like, okay, we can never do this again. You would hope one can so. Hope, right? yeah. yeah, you would hope that would be the thing. So, yeah. So it was clear to the FBI at this point that, that no such group had ever existed prior to this incident. And then they never showed up again. They never took ownership over anything 
ever again. So just just a little odd. And this case is a continuous mystery and is one that the FBI is still investigating to this day. In fact, Sean Call is the special agent in charge of the FBI Phoenix field office in present day. Mm -hmm. And he's issued a statement about this case, and it reads as follows. We do not forget that there were children on board the train as young as nine months old. And an innocent man lost his life and many others were injured. We will continuously we will continue to aggressively pursue this investigation for as long as it takes. We are determined to seek justice for the victims of this truly senseless crime. So it should they're offer obviously they're offering rewards for any information that leads to yeah. an arrest for this incident. And it should be noted that each entity is offering like different amounts of money. So the FBI is is offering up to $250,000. Oh, wow. Amtrak itself is offering up to $50,000. And the Maricopa County Attorney's Office is offering up to $10,000 for any information leading to I mean, that's well over $310,000. Yeah. So this case is being investigated jointly by the FBI, Amtrak, police department i didn't know amtrak had their own police department i think that's fascinating i don't know is it really police department or is it like just like wouldn't it be i i would think wouldn't it just be like some form of like tsa kind of that's what i was thinking like some security kind of like is are the guards not guards but like the people that are like on the train like verifying the passengers are being orderly and then they're checking for the Mm. tickets and stuff like are they actually law enforcement I don't know. Yeah, I like I said, I've never in my life been on like been on a passenger train. So I'm like, I have no idea how that works. I've been on like a light rail, but that's like a commuter train. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, they're part of the union, too. I think like Amtrak and train Mm. things are part of a union for the most part. Interesting. And I might be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So. Like I was saying, so this case is being investigated jointly by the FBI, uh, Amtrak Police Department, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, and the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Arizona. So we they have so many hands on this case. If you have any information about the derailment of the Sunset Limited, it's asked that you please report it to the FBI Phoenix field office. And you can get a prize money. Yeah. And I always wondered how that stuff works, too, because it's like... Your information needs to be viable enough to where they can actually do something, right? It's yeah. like you can't just Leads like to the arrest or the conviction. right. Like they have to be able to close the case before you can get your money. It's not like you can be like, "Well, I heard," and then you get that. No, no, yeah, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. 